Welcome to Lead On, a program where we talk about practical issues related to ministry leadership. My name is Jeff Orge, and I'm the president of Gateway Seminary. I've been a ministry leader for a long time. I've been a pastor and a church planter and a denominational executive. And through all those contexts, I've learned a lot about the practical side of what it means to make ministry leadership decisions and to lead a life of ministry leadership that's healthy and balanced and, I think, productive. And so today, I want to talk about one component of that, which is a significant issue, especially in a time like this where so many ministry leaders are facing such demanding circumstances. Now, I've also been talking in these programs since the beginning of the year through some issues that have emerged from surveys done among pastors and ministry leaders, uh, elders, people like that, to show the kinds of concerns people had coming out of 2020 and the pressing issues going into 2021. One of those issues was the fatigue that ministry leaders feel and the importance of rest and rejuvenation for ministry leaders. And so today, I want to talk about resting for ministry leaders. How do you do it? How do you practically organize your life, your time, your convictions, and your commitments so that rest is built in to the ebb and flow of your life as a ministry leadership? Ministry leadership is demanding, no doubt. And that just means that ministry leaders must take care of themselves in the context of, its, of expending themselves in serving others. Now, my story about this, unfortunately, had a dark beginning. When I started in ministry leadership, I could be described accurately as a driven workaholic. I was committed as a young pastor to working long hours, uh, meeting everyone's needs, making a significant difference in a short amount of time, really burning the candle at more than both ends. I was burning it at both ends and in the middle. I was the definition of a driven workaholic. After two or three years of this, the consequences started showing up in my marriage. And because we then had one small child, it started showing up even in my parenting. And so about three years into this, uh, into my marriage and into this lifestyle of being such a workaholic pastor, my wife confronted me. It was not a pleasant confrontation. My wife confronted me uh, with the stark realities that I had to make some changes. I had to make changes in the way I worked, the way I related to my work, the way I thought about ministry. And I had to do this because, frankly, my marriage depended on it. Uh, my future, my family and my future family certainly depended on it. But also, my ministry effectiveness depended on addressing these issues. And so, after that confrontational experience with my wife, I made a decision to go to my church leaders and tell them that, beginning immediately, I had to start taking one day a week away from ministry for rest and rejuvenation and refocusing on the important relationships in my life. I went to that leaders' meeting convinced that there was a high probability that they would fire me at the meeting. That's how warped my understanding of the situation was at that time. So I went into the meeting. And uh, there was a group of about eight men sitting around, and I said, fellas, uh, it's come to this. 
I can't keep up the pace I've been maintaining as your pastor. I have to change some things about my life. And one of the big changes I need to make is I need to start taking one day a week away, a day off, if you will, so that I can refocus, rejuvenate, reestablish some relationships, and really uh, bring some balance to my life and ministry. Well, I said this with fear and trepidation, not knowing exactly how they would respond. And as soon as I finished talking, one of the men said, well, we wondered when we would come to this. And I thought, yeah, me too. I suppose you're all going to fire me now. And this brother said, we wondered when you were going to come to your senses and stop working yourself into an early grave. He said, you want one day a week off? And I said, yes. He said, every man in this room gets two days a week off from his work. Why don't you ask for two? I'd give you two. (laughs) I thought, what world am I living in and what alternative universe have I just stepped into? But this dear man, this dear brother, this church leader who had been watching me had been waiting for the right moment to say, Pastor, you got to make some changes. And when I brought the issue up, he very clearly said, we agree with this. In fact, we think you ought to even do a little more. And as I looked around the room, the men were all just nodding their head like, yeah, you finally got it. Well, that started me on a journey, a journey of trying to understand what it meant to rest as a ministry leader, to pull back for one day a week and for some periodic times through the year for rest and rejuvenation and relational connection with my wife and family and the people that mean the most to me. Now, we've been practicing what I'm going to teach you uh, on this program today. We've been practicing this now for about 35 years. Since the mid-1980s up until now, on a very consistent basis, we've been living out what we learned over those next few months and what we put into practice and how we've been able to sharpen it over time. And if my wife were here today on the program, she'd say, it really worked. Uh, The confrontation worked. My Uh, My prayers were answered, my husband made some changes, and we've been enjoying the benefits of that these many years. Well, like most ministry leaders, when I started thinking about, well, how do I rest, and is there a place for that in my life, and is that a biblical thing for me to do, I turned to study Scripture and I discovered that God models a pattern of time use for His people that includes rest. You can check this out in Genesis chapter 2, verse 2, or Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. And in those passages, you'll see that God worked for six days and then rested for one day. He established a pattern of six days of work and one day of rest. And then he established that pattern of rest that he had himself initiated throughout the Bible as a standard for his people. When you especially look at the Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11 passage, you can learn several things there about Sabbath rest. First, Sabbath was a holy or a separated day. It was a special day. It was a different day. Second, Sabbath was a day without work. Now, that can be tricky for those of us in service occupations like ministry leadership because it's hard to know when we cut off our work and when we're not engaged in our work. But I'll give you a simple definition of that. I was working on a project painting a house one time with a friend, and we were just talking about some of these issues. And I said, you know, I've had a hard time defining Sabbath rest 
over the years. And he turned to me and said, it's not that complicated. Sabbath rest is a day spent not advancing your own cause. Man, that's a good definition. Whatever your cause is, if you're a doctor or a school teacher or uh, if you're an architect or a nurse or, in my case, a pastor, Sabbath rest is not about complete inactivity. It's about a day where you disengage from advancing your cause or moving forward the responsibilities that you are uniquely given and focusing instead on rest, rejuvenation, and relationships. So the Sabbath was a holy or a separated day, a special day, if you will. It was also a day without work, a day without advancing your own cause. The Sabbath was also a reminder of God's work as creator. The Sabbath continually points us back to God as creator and sustainer, and God is our empowerer. In fact, one of the issues about Sabbath rest for ministry leaders is actually a faith question, and that is, do you believe that God who created everything, can get more work done through you in six days than you can do for him in seven. That's what I had to eventually come to understand was that God could get everything done through me in six days every week that he really intended to do. And I needed to focus on him as creator and sustainer and empowerer. And Sabbath rest helps me remember that. The Sabbath lasted from sunset to sunset, which made it a 24-hour cycle, which included sleeping and resting in that way, as well as resting in the way that I'm also describing it. And finally, the Sabbath included worship. Now, that's the Sabbath day described in Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11, but there are other examples of Sabbath rests in the Old Testament. Um, There's the rest in the land of Canaan mentioned in Joshua 1.13 and rests associated with the Jewish feast days like the festivals of unleavened bread or Passover or the festivals of weeks or Pentecost or the festival of tabernacles. You can read about all of these in Leviticus chapter 23. But these were all one-week-long rest periods that were intermingled with the calendar year and the agricultural year, if you will. The feasts of unleavened bread or weeks or tabernacles, uh, Passover, Pentecost, tabernacles, different names, same experiences. Now, I can't make a airtight biblical case for this, but, you know, these were week-long vacations, if you will, a week to pull away from normal responsibilities. And so it seems to me that ministry leaders would be wise to follow a similar pattern in their lives today of pulling away for a week periodically from time to time for this purpose of rest. And then uh, there was also the Sabbath year rest and the Jubilee rest described in Leviticus chapter 25. So whether we're talking about Sabbath days or Sabbath weeks or even Sabbath years, the concept of rest is interwoven throughout the Bible and is described for us as a model for what it for what it means to serve God and to be part of his community and certain to be certainly to be a part of his service. Now, how do you bridge from Old Testament law about Sabbath to very much today's practice of Sabbath rest for ministry leaders? Well, let me give you five suggestions that'll help you get there. Number 1. Set a definite day each week for rest. Set a definite day each week for rest. But now here's the qualifier, that you can make work for 45 weeks a year. Set a definite day each week for rest, 
But don't stress if you can't make that happen 52 weeks a year. Start out with a goal of 40 or 45. As I said, I've been doing this now for, gosh, more than three decades. But frankly, Sabbath rest only works for us about 45, maybe 48 weeks a year. We don't make it all 52. There are certain weeks when obligations come up that cannot be moved off our Sabbath day, and we have to fulfill those obligations. There's just no way around it. We've learned that most things can be rescheduled or moved or placed on our calendars in ways that don't conflict with this day, but when the day or when the conflict comes and it can't be avoided, you just have to fulfill your responsibilities. So don't stress about it if you can't make it work 52 weeks a year. Just shoot for 40 or maybe 45. You know, for most people in ministry leadership, 40 or 45 weeks a year where they devote one full day to Sabbath rest would be a huge step of progress. So if you can't make 52, don't just give up. Pick another number, 45, 40, and say, I'm going to commit to this many days of making this schedule work this week so or this year so that I can practice Sabbath rest. Now, when we started out, we used Thursdays. Now, that was because uh, our church back in those days had a Wednesday evening service, and so I would go home from the Wednesday evening service and start that rest time, and I'd go all the way till Monday, or excuse me, till Friday morning when I came back to work. So I had that full 24, even 36 hours when you added the two sleeps at the beginning and the end. And so we started out with Thursdays, but that was when we had uh, small children. As our children got a little older and got into school and other activities, we switched the day over to Fridays, and then ultimately we switched it over to Saturdays, and then we switched it back to Fridays. And today, uh, my wife and I still use Fridays most weeks for our Sabbath rest day. Now, again, we don't make that happen 52 weeks a year, but we do make it happen about 45. And that schedule works really well for us because I travel and speak almost every weekend, and so I usually leave on Saturday morning or sometimes Saturday evening or sometimes early Sunday morning to go and preach in churches and other ministry opportunities. And so for us, uh, Saturday and Sunday are just simply not going to work because my work week actually starts on Sunday, so Friday's a great day for us. So first, set a definite day each week for rest, and if possible, make that a midnight or a night to night experience or even one night to the morning of the following day incorporating those nights into the 24 hours that you're setting aside second set a definite time each year for extended rest now following the biblical model one week is at least the best minimum longer can even be better now how do you pull away from ministry responsibilities for a whole week? Well, you have to plan for coverage of your ministry responsibilities while you're gone. This means you have to have someone who's going to do the preaching for you and do the crisis intervention for you and who's going to visit the sick or lead meetings or in other ways take care of the responsibilities that you normally have in ministry leadership. If you're a person that serves as a deacon or an elder or some other kind of staff person in a church or you work for a ministry organization like I do, you're going to have to make sure that someone fulfills those duties and responsibilities that you're going to have. So when I say that you're going to step away for a week or longer, it doesn't mean that the ministry needs stop or that the whole world stops spinning. No, it means that you have to take responsibility to make sure that you have coverage 
for those things that need to be taken care of while you're gone, and that you have such confidence in the people that you've asked to provide that coverage that you can go away knowing that whatever happens while you're gone will be cared for in an appropriate way and that people's needs will still be met even though you're not present. Part of good leadership is planning for your absence and organizing your work in such a way that people can carry it on even when you're not there in the moment to make sure it happens. There's a story, it may be apocryphal, but there's a story that Henry Ford, when recruiting executives to Ford Motor Company, would take them out for lunch. And in the course of a casual conversation, he would just drop the question, hey, tell me about your last vacation. What did you and your family do together? And if a person said, oh, Mr. Ford, we were just so busy last year in our company, I I haven't, wasn't able to pull away and take any vacation or, you know, it's been three years since I was able to get away and, you know, I've just been grinding it out, trying to get these projects done. That was actually a huge negative for Henry Ford. He said, if people can't, if a person can't organize their work so that it can carry on while they're gone, expending their time in their family, they're not executive material for Ford Motor Company. Man, think about that. Here was a person who had the wisdom to know that top executives are not people who work themselves into the ground, but no, top executives are people who do their work in such a way that they can organize it so they can be gone periodically and the work carries on without them. So set a definite time each year for extended rest. Now third, when you're resting either in your day or in your extended time, disengage from work-related communication. This is part of not advancing your own cause. Now I know this is going to be hard in this connected generation, but listen, you can turn off your email and other social media, and you can set your phone to only accept calls from favorites, or even better, turn off your phone and develop an alternative way to be contacted. That's what I do. When I'm away for a week or more of vacation and rest and rejuvenation and relational connection with my family, we set up a system where I can be called, but my phone's off. So if there is some dire emergency, some legitimate need to reach me for a critical decision or in a crisis moment, there are key people here at the seminary who know how to get in touch with me. But I turn my phone off because I don't want to be bothered by just every single person who might have my cell phone number and might think it was convenient during my vacation to give me that kind of phone call. Now, I know there are other ways to do that by setting your call to accept only favorites and different things, and I've used some of those things as well. And I do turn off social media, and I do turn off email all during the time that I've pulled away. You say, but what if something important happens? Well, you know, I've been doing this for a long time, and I can tell you that most things aren't that important. Most things can wait another three or four or five days until I get back and can give some attention to it. And if something is a legitimate, true emergency, I've trained people and put them into place and delegated to them and empowered them to either make decisions while I'm gone or to have the good sense to know when they really need to reach back out to me. So disengage from work-related communication. Four, use your rest day or your rest time to do things that rejuvenate you, things that you enjoy. Now, as I said, it's rest, rejuvenation, and relational connection, which means you're not advancing your cause, but instead doing things which invigorate you, energize you, bring you back to being the high-performance person you need to be. This means you can travel or stay home 
Although sometimes staying home is hard in, in some situations, especially if you live in a small town or you're living in a parsonage next to a church building or something like that. But nevertheless, Sabbath doesn't mean complete inactivity. You can stay home and do something you enjoy. You can travel and do something you enjoy. You can take a short trip, a day trip, just something that reinvigorates you, recharges you. That's what you're looking to do. And then on these rest days, you can work or play or or do nothing. Just don't overcommit to conquering projects on the day you're supposed to be resting. Another thing I like to do is consider upping your activity level. I like to walk more or swim more or actually do things which really energize me physically as a part of that day of rest. You might say, well, that sounds backwards to me. You mean you do your hardest workout on your rest day? No, I didn't say that. I just said up the activity level a little bit. Get out and walk a little more. Go swim a little bit. Just get moving and see what happens when those endorphins in your body kick in and how that even helps to rejuvenate you during a day of rest. Now, how to disengage and how to rest. I gave you, I'm giving you five suggestions, but let's rev- review the first four. Set a definite day each week and make it work 40 to 45 weeks a year. That's success. Set a definite time each year for a week or more where you can pull away and really focus on rest and rejuvenation and relational connection. And then disengage from work-related communication. Turn off the email. Turn off the a voicemail, turn off the social media, set your phone to favorites, or just turn it off. And if you're really needed, set up an alternative way for people to get to you, uh, to call your spouse or to call a temporary phone that you may have just for this purpose, but to have some way that isn't making it possible for every person to reach out to you in that time frame. And then stay home, travel, do whatever you'd like. Just don't try to conquer in that time frame, but do feel free to Raise the activity level and see if that doesn't even make you feel better when the day is over. And then finally, finally, the fifth step and one I've alluded to all the way through is be with people who energize you and who will not, who will not ask you about or focus with you on ministry. Being in a day of rest doesn't mean you have to be alone. For me, I'm energized by being with my wife and with my family and with a few key friends. I'm fortunate. I have a lifelong friend. I met uh, him and his wife when they joined our church the first month that I was a pastor. We were two young guys just starting out, just building our families, just trying to make life work. And we've now been friends for almost 35 years. One of the characteristics of our friendship that survived all these years and survives uh, now as we live halfway across the continent from each other One of the things that has marked our friendship is all these years we can be together and he doesn't ask me about ministry. We never talk about it. We talk about so many other things. In fact, he and I and his wife and my wife, we've traveled together on vacation a number of times over the years. And from the time we get there to the time we leave, we may be together for hours every day, doing fun things, seeing sights, just enjoying one another. He will never, not one time, ask me how things are going at the seminary. He just doesn't do it. And I don't ask him about his work either. I don't want to know about his factory and his business and his responsibilities and what he's doing next year. We just don't go down those paths. Because when we get together, we both recognize we need to pull away for rest, rejuvenation, and relational connection 
with people who energize us instead of drain us. Ministry leadership is a draining responsibility, no doubt about that. And many people we work with, although well-meaning, are draining as they draw from us the spiritual and emotional energy that we have to expend to communicate and to do ministry with them. It's good to have some friends, though, who energize us by pouring into us spiritual and emotional energy for the task. Well, these are tough days in ministry leadership. They're demanding, no doubt about it. That shows up in surveys, but it also shows up in our experiences, doesn't it? Today, I've talked with you about how to structure rest into your life as a ministry leader. You can do it. Put these steps into practice. It'll make a difference as you lead on.